Payments Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Greetings and welcome to the Payments Podcast. My name is Richard Ransom. I'm a payment modernization specialist at Bottomline and an industry lead as well. And I'll be your host for this episode. This episode focuses on the changes your business can expect from the new payments architecture program from PayUK. Our title, Five Things Businesses Need to Know About the NPA. While the ramification of NPA for banks has been covered quite well, it's our opinion that when it comes to its effect on corporates, we could all use a bit more information and analysis, hence the title for this episode. However, please don't think for a second, there's only five things necessary to know here. We've whittled down a very complex topic to what we see are just five things, and we hope it will serve as a good primer for corporates to learn about these changes, as well as innovation to learn more. And to learn more, there's no one better than our guest today. Mike Chambers is a UK banking veteran and expert on payments infrastructure, and someone I've probably known probably since the introduction of Baxter IP way back in 2003. Mike, welcome and I'm looking forward to our chat today. Richard, thank you so much for the invitation to join you in this podcast today. I'm not sure about the veteran and the expert comment, but MPA, you're right, is certainly a complex subject. And, and so let's use this opportunity in this podcast to try and unpack new payment architecture a little bit more together. Thank you. So before we get started, I want to make sure our audience has a brief and proper background if needed. So the NPA is being driven by the payment systems regulator with the aim of modernising UK payments and in the process make them faster, more secure, more resilient and more stable. The heart of these plans is the new central infrastructure for payments, which would replace legacy systems such as BACS, the faster payment service and check clearing. By bringing new payment types to replace faster payments and BACS into an ISO 20022 compliant architecture. So ISO 20022, as we'll talk later, is a global standard for payments. The NPA can make the UK payment system more innovative and competitive. So let's dive right in. The most important of our five things will be the overall changes expected for the faster payments infrastructure. Before we get into that, Mike, when you compare NPA to our current architecture, there's some very general changes that will benefit all businesses as well as their consumers. So the first thing our listeners need to know is that there are many, many changes in the new NPA. For me, probably the most significant aspects include BACS and ISO 20022. So those are just two changes. To understand those and the scope, the other change in the MPA, Mike, I think it'd be helpful to unpack the genesis of the MPA for our listeners. Sure, Richard. Let me let me try and do that because, as we said, this is a really complex subject. But we can break this down um, and we can think about MPA firstly in the context of replatforming. A replatforming of faster payments in the first iteration of MPA, I call that 1.0, and in a subsequent iterations, which will include things like banks and other um, other payment types, perhaps in the future, which I would call MPA 2.0. But of course, if you take that generic replatforming of the infrastructure we have now into new payment architecture, there are some things that are givens. You know, we would expect it to be resilient. We would expect it to be scalable. We'd expect it to be robust, to be safe and secure. And there will be no accolades for producing a replatform called New Payment Architecture that just delivers that or even falls short of doing that. That's just the bed and butter of what payment systems do. But if we try then to say, well, what does this platform give us in terms of additional benefits? You've mentioned ISO 20022. You know, we move from two, in, in effect, primarily two payment types, the standard 18 used by BACS and message 8583 um, used by faster payments. There is a risk, of course. All we do is lift and drop those two um, 
standards into an ISO 20022 standard and in fact give us a like-for-like functionality and don't get any benefits. It will be a real shame if that happens, and that's certainly not the desire of Pay.UK as they seek to deliver out the MPA program. But by adopting ISO 20022, we finally have got a chance to pass data through with the payment or to provide a link within that payment to a, to a warehouse in the cloud where we can receive the information on the back of the payment and use it for better reconciliation or better analysis or for passing information from one party to another. We have the option of using this extra ISO 2002 functionality to do things like track and trace. So actually, if we actively track a payment type through uh, the, the system end-to-end and give that better predictability of where it is and the certainty of that payment. If we're really clever, we can use some of this ISO 20022 functionality to start to think about in-flight analysis of uh, payments from an AML or a fraud or an authorized push payment fraud perspective. And of course, if we take two or three payment systems and we lump them into one with a common structure and a common data set, we've got the option for better automation, for better inter- interoperability and better route- rerouting, of course, in an instant. You imagine the situation now where there's an outage in backs. How do you deal with that and get those payments translated into faster payments? So there's a real opportunity there with ISO 20022. We talk about moving a new payment architecture to a real-time from a near real-time system. In reality, for most of us, we won't know the difference. Faster payments is pretty much real-time already, but the, the settlement proposition will change. So we'll see the settlement and therefore the certainty and finality of that payment changing in new payments architecture. One of the biggest changes is that we'll see is the creation of a thing called overlays. And I'm sure we're going to expand a bit on this in the conversation today. But if you take a very thin clearing and settlement layer, which is the the, the, the essence and the bedrock of new payment architecture, there'll be one provider of that. One vendor will be selected to provide that. But on top of that very thin layer of payment and settlement, we're going to see uh, new overlay services on, on top of that produced and, and offered in, in a marketplace by different vendors in a competitive and innovative environment. And for, first off the block is two examples of request to pay and variable reoccurring payments. And you could perhaps put confirmation of pay into that. But also think about overlays about the opportunity to translate messages, to bulk and debulk, to do some fraud analysis, to um, marshal payments in terms of payment orchestration. If you think about uh, faster payments, direct corporate access today, um, you know, it's okay, but it's fairly limited. And yet we see a very rich proposition from a backs direct credit, direct corporate access and bulk capability. Can you imagine lifting all of that richness of proposition of Bax Direct Credit, both in terms of its bulk clearings and its direct corporate access proposition, and, and, and landing that in new payment architecture, faster payments. You start to fuse the benefits and the, and the attributes of Bax Direct Credit with the attributes of faster payments. We might see that happen organically, moving from the old world to the new world. We also might see a managed migration by Pay.UK. And finally, and one thing that we really need to unpack as an industry and as a community is how you can use new payment architecture to address APP fraud. You know, you'll have all have seen the figures. You've seen the figures from UK finance. You've heard the horror stories about eye-watering levels of fraud there. And, you know, overlays like confirmation of payee and request to pay, neither of them are silver bullets, but they are great opportunities to reduce 
fraud, but also good examples that of future ones, future initiatives we might see coming forward. Because once you're in a new payment architecture with that richer, richer environment, you can think about using AI and money laundering um, technology or machine learning technology. You can talk about fraud analysis, profiling, probability, geolocation, analytics. You can start to start doing stuff with that payment in flight to supplement the things you might do to reduce fraud from a sending point of view and a receiver's banker point of view. Um, now, let me just share from a faster payments point of view where I'm most excited. Okay, this this for me, this is this is where I get really excited from a faster payment point of view. You know, currently, most faster payments are single immediate payments. They're fire and forget, chuck them through the system, and they'll hopefully arrive at the other end and be credited to the beneficiary. We've sort of bolted on the 1970s hack of standing orders and sort of made them fit within faster payments to address settlement and uh, to, to sort of use the, the faster payments technology. We've played at the edges with direct corporate access. We've played at the edges with future data payments. The whole concept of new payment architecture, faster payments, so I'd call that MPA 1.0, gives us a, a new level of faster payment functionality. I call them flavors. But we'll see a priority payment. It's sort of a replacement for single immediate payment. And that's the stalwart of those payments we've enjoyed today. But we'll see an instant payment. Now, that instant payment is going to require a response. How fantastic that will be for account-to-account -account payments, for e-commerce related payments. Having that certainty, yeah, the payment's done, the payment's settled, I can release those goods or services. If you think about what direct credit does and what standing orders, banks direct credit and standing orders do today, there's a flavor of faster payment that will be in new payment architecture called same day payments. There's an opportunity for those value date payments, but not urgent in terms of when they're settled through the day, to be processed in, in, in a different timeline within the value day, which hopefully will be cheaper more liquidity efficient and, and, and give the opportunity to sort of measure out the, the processing through that day. We'll see bulk submissions with large batch payments um, in new payments architecture. For me, that will be a great way of replacing backs direct credit. And you'll also see some of the stalwarts of backs arriving in faster payments, new payment architecture, which is the sort of the, the multiple payment message, one debit, many credits. And for me, if I think about flexible payments, we'll see that within new payments architecture. You also asked me about banks and banks direct credit um, and de direct debit. I think banks direct credit in terms of will, will be slightly helped with new payments architecture 1.0, where there'll be the opportunity to move banks direct credit into a faster payments bulk submission. And I think from my point of view, if we miss that opportunity or we let it happen organically, we're going to miss a real opportunity for the future of uh, direct credit. So it would be great to see an active migration from Rack's direct credit into direct debit. Of course, direct debit's a whole different game. Uh, the decision and the debate has been moved back. Um, I call the, the solution for direct debit MPA 2.0. Um, if you think about direct debit at its core, it, it, it does what it does very, very well. It's doing four and a half billion transactions a year. It's growing year on year. But, you know, it's perhaps a little bit behind in terms of its approach to indemnity, the guarantee, the clearing cycle, the amount of data and the flexibility. And, and I think that we will see under new payment architecture the opportunity to have a debate about the future of direct debit. Have direct debits had their day? Should they sit inside or outside of the new payment architecture wrapper 
or and perhaps I think we're a bit of a spoiler alert in terms of my thinking, but actually, will VRPs, variable recurring payments, request to pay and direct debit compete, coexist, complement or converge? And if you're asking me, uh, if you were to ask me what would be the solution, um, I would say we're going to see convergence of a sandwich made out of direct debit, VRPs and request to pay. And just as I finish the um, this particular question, I haven't talked about checks. If you go back to the genesis of uh, new payment architecture, checks was there in scope. It was quietly dropped early on and remains out of MPA scope. Um, at the time, I thought that was perhaps a bit of a silly idea. Do we get the benefits of bringing it into a single payment platform? But there are only 140 million checks per annum. Um, and therefore, rather than thinking about bringing checks into MPA, we need to think about dealing with the end of checks, not building them into the new platform. Now, I've tried to unpack there, Richard, sort of new payments architecture 1.0 and how we might see faster payments and backs, but not checks, building to that picture. Thanks, Mike, for that excellent encapsulation of what's been happening over the last six years in, in payments world as we've waited um, patiently for, for the MPA to happen. Now, what we'll try to do now is is get a bit more detail about some of the points that you've gone through. And and I think, as we alluded to before, the changes around faster payments are highly impactful. And we've chosen that as our second key element. So obviously, central DNPA is robustness and resilient clearing and settlement capability. NPA will modernize the way that both banks and corporates connect because cloud-based solutions weren't um, it weren't in existence back when faster payments and backstall IP first came out. Um, we can get some genuinely real-time payments and handle like massively increasing payment volumes. And potentially, if that um, instant payment type starts to disintermediate card payments, that's where a lot of that volume will come from. And also, we'll see the ISO 20022 messaging standard, which brings in the enriched data that you talked about and greater interoperability with other systems that use ISO 20022. So the potential for cross-border payments that pass through national infrastructures without the need for any change, any truncation or, or translation. So I think as we're addressing the corporates in this podcast, how do you think these cha changes will impact corporates? I think that, um, you know, it's always easy, isn't it? Just think about the bank and payment service providers uh, prov entering into this world and forget the end user, forget the consumer, forget the corporate. So uh, it's great to see a question then thinking about uh, the impact on the on the corporate world or our co corporate environment. Um, you know, this we're already enjoying a near real time multi-payment uh, system within faster payments and um, it's a multi-platform in terms of near real time and bulk so i think that if we start to think about where the benefits will be with corporates we start we should start with faster payments you know the, the faster payment system has been around for quite a while uh, i was out in the middle east uh, this is probably now just before covid and i was in a meeting of some very senior people and they said mike uh, you're from the uk the, which had the granddaddy of all instant payment schemes. So we were certainly very much at the forefront of near real-time payment systems. And despite that, after, after over a decade, we're still seeing 16% annual growth, which after 14 years is, is just amazing. Um, but I think as we start to think about taking the faster payments into that new platform, which is MPA, we've got to think much wider than just a like-for-like -like replacement. It's true that faster payment success has been driven by the switch from analog 
to digital payments and faster payments has been a stalwart uh, of that. And I certainly think as we move in terms of a new payment architecture, um, it will continue, faster payments will continue to support this move uh, into a less cash society and eventually over a period of time to a cashless society. And whilst that's sort of the light for light replacement, from a corporate point of view, I mentioned a few moments ago sort of the the flavors of faster payments. And, and I think that's really exciting from a corporate point of view because you can look at your proposition for uh, receiving payment from your customers for the goods and services you provide. And instead of relying on a card, which might be expensive, uh, depend on relying on cash or even a check or a faster payments you find it difficult uh, to reconcile you can start to get a payment that has certainty so you've used open banking you've used account to account payments uh, and a payment has been initiated and you find out that payment's gone through it's been received and you will receive that money you can finally give that good or service to the customer so you have a lot of payment certainty I think we probably will see a payment flavor uh, within faster payments that has a level of um, guarantee, a level of consumer guarantee. And that will start to help customers have greater trust and confidence in using faster payments. So I think there's an opportunity for corporates to take these new flavors of faster payments. And rather than think about this as a, a one size fits all, do I want to use FPS faster payments or not? It's thinking, how can these flavors change the way that my customers pay me? Uh, I mentioned the fact that Banks Direct Credit has been used by government, by um, corporates, uh, by payroll, lots of, of accounts payable, lots of very good reasons to use direct, direct credit. It's been around for decades, it uh, processes billions of payments a year. But We've enjoyed that, but you imagine lifting that functionality and that benefit of, of how you use Banks Direct Credit and doing it in a more instant environment, doing it in a more faster payments type environment. And I think that might change if you're doing payroll. You can move your payroll date closer to the value of the payment. If you're uh, doing accounts uh, payable, you can sort of lump more payments in there. If you're for government and people like that, you've got more time to assess people's needs and decide how they're going to pay them. So I think there's if you take all you love about Banks Direct Credit and add a layer of what you like like about faster payments, there's an opportunity in terms of using new payment architecture uh, 1.0. Um, and I think probably the third one I would say from a corporate point of view uh, would be that new payments architecture and the flavors of faster payments uh, will support the adoption of open banking initiated account to account payments. And as we think about the transformation of open banking, moving to open payments, the way that goods and services are provided, the way that e-commerce payments work, um, using an account-to-account -account payment rather than an underlying card or, or that sort of payment uh, will have a great opportunity for corporates in collecting their money. And if you're a bank or a, a payment service provider, you can take, you can develop overlay services to add value to the underlying payment. Now, those two two examples are request to pay and variable reoccurring payments. They're both both overlay services that use the faster payment rails, but commercially organizations are taking those services and offering them to their customers to offer additional value. So I think whether you're a bank or a PSP, there's an opportunity for you to develop the overlay services. But from a corporate point of view, you should see a competitive marketplace uh, appear of vendors who have opportunities to, to give you to uh, take a very vanilla straight payment, 
and do something very clever with it that would enhance your proposition for your customers. So thank you, Mike. Your mention of VRPs gave me a good segue into our third most important thing to know, which are the payment protections and new payment methods that could be made more available with MPA. In specific, could there be a move of BACS direct credits to MPA priority payments as a proper replacement for direct credit rather than just uh, an option? So do you potentially see um, the option for um, replacement of BACS just being that? Um, and also the wider subject, the, the trickier one to solve, which is the possible options in the evolution of direct debit. So I'm, and I'm interested in your opinion about whether you think VRP could replace direct debit completely. Um, speaking to a lot of utilities and large billers, as I do, I think there's some um, interest in VRPs as a mechanism, a technical mechanism, but um, there's still a lot of love for the direct debit scheme and the consumer protections that sit behind it. As a former CEO of, of Banks Direct Debit and Direct Credit, I'd absolutely agree with you about how good uh, direct debit is and how much it's valued uh, by uh, government and corporates right across the land. But um, yeah, let, that's just an aside in terms of my previous role. But in terms of the question you've asked, you know, if only I had a crystal ball, I mean, that'd be a fantastic, wouldn't it? So um, we don't know yet how new payment architecture is going to uh, be delivered, uh, is going to be implemented, and what suite of services we would expect from an overlay point of view, or even a migration from the old world to the new world. But let me give you just some ideas of where we might see um, some change. I've talked about the first one I would ping out is the one I've mentioned I'm most excited about. It's the flavors of faster payments, mostly payment protection because if we put a form of payment guarantee or protection in there it will build customer trust and confidence i've talked about the instant payment within faster payments because if we have an instant payment finally we could have open banking and faster payments fusing together to release a good or a service that would disintermediate cards that would address the issue of direct debit first payment that would drive the adoption of account-to-account -account payments. So it would be remiss of us not to explore uh, the benefits of these new flavors rather than, in effect, the one-size-fits-all of the faster payments. You mentioned what might be the future of BACs, and we have to break this down to push and pull. So direct credit is a push. Direct debit is a pull payment. From a push payment, so from a direct credit payment, um, yeah, I, I think the answer is about the opportunity is taking the functionality we'll have in new payments architecture 1.0 and fusing BACs direct credit into faster payments. And that means that using MPA 1.0, we can have a direct corporate access model. We can deal with bulk payments. You know, you'd hope we can deal with the cost and the liquidity efficient ways of that. All those attributes we, attributes we see presently in direct credit and fusing that with an FPS same day payment. And as I said, that might be an organic migration. It just might be the MPA world and the faster payments proposition is better than the direct credit uh, proposition. Uh, I rather hope uh, that we'll see that as a, a managed migration and we'll see an industry move to help people move from Banks Direct Credit today to a new product within MPA. Now, direct debit uh, is sort of a later iteration of new payment architecture. Um, I actually think the answer will be to, is that direct debit has a strong future, uh, but it will look very different to the direct debit of today. 
so that we will see uh, more uh, evolution in direct debit, more innovation. We'll look at the guarantee. We'll look at the standards. We'll look at the clearing cycle. But I think also we will bring together and converge variable reoccurring payments, request to pay, and direct debit into, into sort of that collection sandwich. Because if we bring those three payment types together, we have a flexible consumer proposition that allows people to choose who they pay, how they pay, and when they pay. And if you think about that from a management, a financial management point of view, a financial inclusion point of view, or frankly, just customer or consumer empowerment, that starts to make sense that you have uh, the convergence of those three payment types that allows corporates to uh, flexibly offer to take money for their, from their customers for the goods and services that are being um, procured. I think if we talk about um, variable recurring payments, just as an aside, you know, we've seen them being released in the UK in terms of sweeping payments. So a me to me payment. Um, I actually think that the, 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 the sweeping of a variable recurring payment is the tip of the iceberg. But just look how a variable reoccurring payment used for sweeping transactions has changed the dynamics. You know, it was once the preserve of the corporate treasurer to be able to see how much he or she had in all their banks around the country and to understand their balances and to start moving the balances in real time so at the end of day positions, the money was in the right place, either covering a shortfall in the account, an overdraft, or gaining the best levels of interest. Those that was the preserve of the corporate treasurer. Now, under, under a, um, variable recurring payments and sweeping, I, as an individual, can maximize my cash balances and I can minimize my bank charges. You think about how that's changed the dynamics. And they lead us very naturally into a commercial VRP where I can start paying for goods or services. And I say, as I said, direct debit, variable recurring payments and request to pay all come together into a sandwich that makes a lot of sense. I heard request to pay the other day described as request, answer, pay. Request a payment, answer the request, and make the payment. For me, that's a level of empowerment that makes a real difference for folk. Thank you, Mike. And I think when I speak to um, billers about direct debit and the current um, detriments the things that they find difficult about it I think that initial sign up process so the capture of the customer and potentially any issues with that that's the one bit that they'd like to fix more than anything else I think a lot of the rest of the process works great and has been working fine for lots of years but I think if you can sign someone up and authenticate them with their bank immediately and then take that first payment Immediately, that helps a lot of people. It helps cash flow, but also helps to stop those annoying first collection errors. The, the largest area of failure amongst our customers is around that first collection. And you know, it's very exciting for corporates that these sort of processes are going to improve and people are thinking about them. So moving direct credit potentially from a three-day to a to an instant cycle will make a lot of difference now payroll providers in in particular said how excited they are about that because typically they have a lot of changes right up to payday and it certainly makes their process a lot easier and a lot more flexible so i think one thing i want to touch upon briefly is back to account to account payments um so this is a global trend and we've heard um the CEOs of major banks globally talking about how they're going to move away from cards and towards account-to-account -to -account payment. And this is another area where our corporate customers are excited because they may have 
um, high card fees, or there just aren't flexible payment methods available today for them to make efficient and low-cost payments. So, so how will the MPA set the stage for more use of account-to-account? I think um, this is very much the topic of the day, isn't it? It's very much at the fore of what's happening about how uh, account-to-account payments will uh, gain traction and will add value. And I think it's always good to look at some use cases. And I'll just give two examples of uh, where I think uh, we have seen account-to-account enablers happening. Now, interestingly, they've happened in the current faster payments environment. We haven't had to wait for the new payment architecture environment. So that's quite interesting in terms of how strong the current proposition is. But let me just use those two examples and and I'll just make it personal. Um, You know, the worst payments I make in a year, paying my corporation tax, once a year, pay my VAT every quarter and pay my personal tax because I always seem to owe the HMRC money at the end of each year. Uh, and paying them is really difficult. It's full of friction. It's full of uncertainty. Am I sending to the right sort, sort code and account number? Um, have I put my reference on it? Will it be reconciled? Was it the right amount? Did they get it? You know, really difficult payments. And what we've seen in the last few years is HMRC working with people to um in effect, make an account-to-account payment flow very seamlessly there. So I get to the end of the process with the government and they say, by the way, you owe me some money, click here and we can pay it. And it initiates an open banking payment. For me, that took a lot of friction out. It took a lot of hassle out. It took a lot of uncertainty out. But another example is purchasing a car. I purchased a new car uh, in the autumn uh, of last year. And, you know, getting the money into the right account, making sure it's gone to the right retailer. Uh, you're thinking about the payment limits of virtual payments of uh, with a card for a deposit, thinking about using a credit card for a deposit, thinking about banking limits within faster payments. You know, as you start to think about that whole flow, it was quite difficult. And if you merge account to account, uh, payments with faster payments, purchasing that car can be so much easier. So I think for HMRC, I think for account to account, HMRC was a TFL moment, a bit like the contactless moment we talk about. But we can see it both from paying um, one-off payments for buying a car to paying the government. And of course, account to account payments will disrupt card payments. Now, it doesn't matter whether they're debit or credit, but they will have that disruption, uh, predominantly around cost, but there are some other things as well. Uh, But, you know, without delving too deeper into it, just imagine combining a responsible buy now, pay later proposition with account to account and or a variable reoccurring payment uh, to reduce the friction in purchasing services and make payments virtually invisible. So you can start to package together different attributes to really change the proposition for your customers. I mentioned, you know, the, the guarantee of uh, certainty of payments, you know, using that uh, that new flavor of faster payments uh, and account to account starts to give payment services, uh, payment certainty and, and dramatically changes the proposition for e-commerce in an open banking environment. And we can already see account to account or overlays such as confirmation of pay and request to pay uh, utilizing the faster payments rails so we can already see good examples of fusing an overlay with the underlying payment but start to think about how something like request to pay could be used instead of a card payment or uh, instead of um, a delinquent direct debit a direct debit has gone wrong it's not been funded but you still want to offer the service and the customer still wants to pay for it but it's been a little bit bumpy for them that month so start to think about how these overlays can provide different ways of dealing with uh, your customers 
and reduce the cost, both in terms of the, the transaction fees you pay, but also the people cost in managing, for example, delinquent direct debits. I'm going to number four on our list, and that's the upside. So some in the business will see any kind of regulation like NPA as a threat to their current priorities or even their way of doing business. But I think it's really a tremendous opportunity. What What are your thoughts? I think, um, you know, MPA in itself is an industry pre-replatforming uh, pre uh, for the next generation of payments. It's a change that the Bank of England and the PSR as regulators are seriously interested in happening, but happening at the lowest risk. So that, in effect, gives us a new platform for the future. But I think in terms of the opportunity, I just see most opportunities sitting in overlays. Overlays are crucial to the success of new payment architecture because they take a resilient clearing and settlement mechanism, the payment rails, and they allow vendors to add value. And that value might be in the payment journey. It might be about channel. It might be analytics. It might be data or fraud mitigation or technology. Um, confirmation of pay is not a silver bullet, but we can see how that overlay is reducing fraud of the underlying payment. We can see request to pay empowering customers to choose who they pay, when they pay, and how they pay. And they're just the first two examples of overlay that have been offered uh, under a pay.uk framework or schema. And I think that they uh, give us a good example of what we might see coming for forward. Um, and we would expect for overlays, if they're to be successful, is that we'll see competition and innovation from a wide range of vendors and uh, providing those services to add value to what we do. And it will be such a wide range of vendors in a marketplace type environment that we will not be dependent upon the infrastructure supplier of what they can and can't do or pay.uk and what they're prepared to offer as a financial market infrastructure. Because the infrastructure supplier and pay.uk will be providing that core new payment architecture. We build the overlays on top of that. And, you know, we just look at some of the things that fintechs have already bring to market, brought to market in terms of innovation in payments. It's just for me really exciting that we have the certainty of the vanilla payment. We have the certainty of that payment and the settlement that sits behind it with the opportunity to add different functionality on top of it in a way that we haven't before in the UK and probably we haven't seen uh, anywhere across the globe. So Mike, one huge benefit we haven't discussed is the switch from older messaging formats to ISO 20022. For, for BACs, for example, um, the format used is called Standard 18. That's been with us for well over 50 years and has survived through um, organizations hand-delivering magnetic tapes to backs through um, sending files via modems right up to today, um, sending files via the internet. So could you talk about the advantages of moving from a format like Standard 18 into ISO 20022? Yeah, we're a long way, aren't we, from transit vans running up the M1 with tapes in the back or couriers on motorbikes delivering through to Bread Street just off Cheapside. So we've come a long way. Uh, from physical data, physical media, through to sort of dial-up telecoms and then internet protocols. But um, yeah, I, I think from a, from an and and things like Backstandard 18 and Message 8583, it served us well. Um, but I think that as we start thinking about ISO 20022, I think they, you know, people have talked a lot about the theory, the theory that ISO 2002 will make more data available for corporates. We hear the theory that it makes data more manageable, more actionable. 
But in thinking about that, it's easy to talk about the theory. And I worry about how that might be translated into opportunity. Um, because I think the danger is we might move from the current formats to the new format in a like-for-like -like truncation. Uh, or we might even just do file conversion at the front end of the back end and you know pass in in the old format and and process in the middle of the, the new format um, and I think that is a real danger and it would be a missed opportunity but ISO 20022 gives us the opportunity for one message format across all the retail payment systems so there's the synergies and the efficiency of doing that it gives us some synergy with RTGS and CHAPS being developed by the Bank of England and Pay.UK and the bank have worked together in terms of frameworks and standards. Um, it gives us the opportunity to use that richer data to pass through or link additional information. We could use these payments now with a track or trace capability, both to talk about, find out when something's gone wrong or where it is, but track the payment through. I'm sure there's loads we could do with this extra for extra functionality from a data point of view around addressing uh, AML issues, fraud analytics, um, profiling, uh, understanding the probability of the payment being a genuine one or not. I'm sure there's a lot we can do there. And I hear from corporates about, well, actually, if I had it in this format, I can I can increase my automation. automation. I can deal with reconciliation. But of course, once we start putting things into a single platform with backs and faster payments in MPA with a common ISO 2002 framework and the synergy with the Bank of England, uh, we start to think more and more about interoperability uh, in terms of the payments going through. And uh, though our systems are incredibly resilient and work very, very well, there are times either at the center or within a particular bank when there's a, an outage or a problem and our ability to reroute payments today is very, very difficult. Firstly, because they're different platforms, MPA should address that. But secondly, because they're different formats. So we should see the ability to reroute payments in an outage. So I think the final element is the importance of partners and partnerships. So we know that the MPA will be a big project for the banks and they'll have their own challenges. But for corporates, the migration to the MPA will require advice on design, infrastructure and deployment, and potentially a degree of insulation from elements of the change. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are, there are four things that, that corporates uh, need to do. Um, and let, let me just share those with you. The first is start thinking about the preparation of how you're going to migrate from faster payments and or backs to the new payment architecture. So it's to start thinking about what does this mean for me as a, as a replatforming, as pointing to a new system? So how will it affect the flows of my transactions? How will it affect the interactions, particularly if I'm in a direct corporate access environment, but also in terms of using other solutions? The second is uh, there's an opportunity here to seek out opportunities uh, within the core new payment architecture. So what I call 1.0. Yeah, what will these new these faster payments flavors give you? Where you're dealing with fraud and APP fraud and AML, what what are this functionality of new payment architecture? What will it give you that you can start being more intelligent with your payments in terms of routing out those payments that are fraudulent? or suspect. The third thing I would say uh, needs to be done is to start exploring the idea of overlays. Now, uh, we perhaps haven't seen the establishment of the marketplace yet, but, but how could you take uh, vendor-provided overlay solutions in a marketplace uh, and start to add 
to your proposition for your customers? How can you exploit those benefits? And the final one is something we're going to all have to do together because at the moment uh, it's not massively clear. But the final one to start thinking about is what is the future of our bulk clearings, our push and our pull payments, so our direct credit and our direct debit solutions offered by BACS? What does the future of that look like? How will it change? So moving direct credit into faster payments, how will direct debit change over time? And how will they sit along or how will direct debit sit alongside other collection types like variable reoccurring payments and request to pay that sandwich I talked about. So firstly, prepare for migration. Secondly, seek out opportunities of new payment architecture. Thirdly, what will overlays give me that I can then be better and cuter with my customers? And finally, uh, how will we unpack together the future of our bulk clearings in the United Kingdom? Agreed. And and to my mind, a good partner to help in this journey and facilitate the various elements will um, have a solid track record of managing migrations from different flavors of payment systems. They'll help to facilitate that ISO 20022 migration. So gaining the benefits and not just doing a like-for-like translation. Be able to advise on compliance and have that subject matter expertise to carry you through. Help to embrace that payments modernization so taking advantage of those new services and advising you on on what's coming in the future and connect the benefits of the new payments architecture to the needs of of the corporate and the corporate's customers so that ends our discussion on the new payment architecture for now as i said please take this as an opportunity to learn more from the experts at bottom line as well as the unparalleled expertise of my guest mike chambers mike thank you very much for joining us today Richard, an absolute pleasure. It was great to be with you today to start thinking about unpacking the complexities, but also the opportunities that we might see through the new payments architecture. So once again, I'm Richard Ransom, and this has been the Payments Podcast, which is available on SoundCloud, Apple and Spotify podcast platforms. See you next time. Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.